Hey, everybody. Uh, so uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife Allie and I, we were watching Netflix together and we were watching the show and uh, the show was of the street magician and he was doing all these magic tricks. But in this episode, one that stuck out to me, it was more of a practical joke than it was an actual magic trick. This guy, he had hired 30 people on Craigslist to meet him at this park. And at this park was this cement slab that kind of served as a garden theater stage. Uh, and so he gathered these 30 people uh, in front of this stage and they had picnic baskets and stuff because they were instructed to. And he told all of them that they were going to be involved in making someone believe that they had been turned invisible, which they were very excited about this. So he walked them through what to do and how to do this. And part of the setup was he had uh, two women come up to the stage. Uh, there were two empty chairs. There was one on each side of him. And he had the two women come to this chair. And one of them posed behind the chair for a picture. And the other one took it. And they went and they took their seats again. And now the ruse begins. So uh, the magician, he's on the stage. And he's just doing these normal magic tricks. like And really well. He's a really good magician. Uh, but he's waiting for a stranger to come by and join the crowd, which one inevitably does. We'll later find out this poor soul's name is Brandon. Uh, so Brandon, he joins this crowd, and the magician says, okay, for this next trick, I'm going to need a couple of volunteers. And he looks at Brandon, and he says, Brandon, well, he doesn't know his name is Brandon at this point yet. That would be really magical. But he, he looks at this guy, and, and he says, would you be my volunteer? And he says, yes, of course. And so Brandon, he comes and says, in this chair. And then he asks for another volunteer and he picks um, someone posing to just be a nobody but is actually his assistant. And his name is Mike. And Mike sits in the chair right here. And the magician says, okay, we are going to turn these two people invisible. So he pulls out this blanket and he throws it over Mike, his assistant, and he shakes it and he removes it dramatically and Mike is gone. Somehow he has left the stage without anybody noticing, which is pretty impressive because again, this is a park and just a cement slab. There's no like false floor, anything like that. Mike is gone. He has disappeared. Uh, and then he goes over to Brandon and he throws the blanket over Brandon and he shakes it and he yanks the blanket away. And of course, Brandon is still there, but the crowd reacts as if Brandon has also disappeared. Brandon's a little confused at this point. So the magician, he goes over to the empty chair that Mike was in, and he has this empty soda can, and he says, Mike, if you're there, could you hold this soda can up for us, please? And the magician, he makes the soda can float in the air with like a wire or something like that, and the crowd is like, whoa, like they react as if an invisible Mike was holding a soda can. But then he takes the soda can over to Brandon, and he says, Brandon, if you're there, could you hold up the soda can, please? And Brandon holds it, and the crowd reacts in the exact same way, as if a soda can is floating in the air, and Brandon goes he is beginning to believe that he has actually been turned invisible. So this magician, he, uh, he says, okay, now we're going to turn them visible again. But then at that moment, he gets a phone call. And he says, oh, I have to take this. And he runs out of sight without any explanation as to when he's going to come back. And Brandon is just sitting there. And the crowd just ignores him. Like they just go back to their picnic as if Brandon was not there. And those two women that came up earlier and took that picture, they come up and pretend to take the same picture. And they look at it in a way that Brandon can see, except in the picture, the chair is empty. 
Brandon starts really freaking out at this point. He gets up out of his chair and he starts walking through this crowd of people, asking them, can you hear me? Can you see me? But they just ignore him. Like he taps them on the shoulder and they pretend like a bug, like hit their shoulder or something like that. And he, like this goes on for like 10 minutes and Brandon is on like... He's on the verge of a panic attack. And it's at this point that the magician comes back in from out of sight. Brandon runs to him and is pleading with the magician to turn him back again. But the magician ignores him because he's supposed to be invisible. So the magician, he gets back up on the stage and he says, okay, let's bring them back. And everybody claps. And he goes over to the chair that Mike was sitting in and he moves his hand around the empty chair. He goes, oh, Mike's gone. And the crowd giggles. But Brandon goes, where's Mike? And so the magician, he takes the blanket and he's like, let's start with Brandon. Maybe he's here. And he throws it over Brandon and he shakes it and he removes it dramatically. And the crowd reacts as if Brandon had just appeared again for the first time. And Brandon's panic turns into relief and a little bit of anger towards this magician. Uh, So this was all very entertaining. It was a cruel joke, but it was hilarious. It was wonderful to watch. Uh, But I was thinking about this and Brandon reacted so strongly and he wasn't upset because he believed he had been turned invisible. He was upset because he was beginning to wonder if he was going to spend the rest of his life with no one seeing him or hearing him ever again. He would be surrounded by people and yet alone, which is an existence that some of you here feel like you're living in right now. Today, we're talking about loneliness. We've been going through specific psalms that speak to specific emotions that we feel quite often in our lives. And the psalm we're looking at today, it's not about loneliness, but there are truths in it that speak to times in which we can feel quite lonely. So we're going to be going through these different situations, and we're going to be seeing how this psalm responds to them. So the first situation in which we can feel quite lonely in is when we are going through something that nobody around us has ever gone through, and it's very difficult to explain how that feels to the other people. Like, you might be surrounded by friends or family, people who care about you, and with the best of intentions, they want to help you, but they just don't understand. And that can feel so lonely, just that sense of, I am the only one who understands what I'm going through. I am alone in this. When you go through something that is that deeply personal and individualistic, or whether you're processing something or recovering from a trauma that you experienced in a a moment or a season, or or maybe you're learning something about yourself or, or someone that you thought you knew, and you're learning things that you wish you hadn't have learned about this person, that can be very isolating when you can't explain it to other people because you don't even understand it that well yourself. It can feel very lonely when nobody understands. Well, let's look and see how the first six verses of this psalm speak to this. Psalm 139 is the one we're going through. Uh, verses 1 through 6 say this. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit up and when I rise up or sit down and rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. 
You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What these verses show us is no matter who you are or what you're going through, God understands because he knows us to a degree of understanding that we aren't able to even know ourselves. That knowledge of ourselves is too high. We can't even attain it, even though it's us we're talking about here. This means that God knows how we're feeling. So it kind of changes this perspective in the sense that we say God knows what you're going through. We see that in this third person perspective, like God is looking down and he sees what we're going through. But this shows us God knows what you are going through. He knows how you are experiencing the circumstances that you're in. He knows the feelings that you're having, the emotions that come up, the the knee-jerk reactions that you have. He knows where those are coming from. God understands, which means when we go to God with these things, these situations that we're in the middle of, we don't have to explain ourselves to God because he already gets it. If you've ever been uh, in a situation like this before where it's very hard to explain to other people in a way that they understand, you know how frustrating and exhausting and discouraging it is when you try to explain yourself to someone and they don't understand and they just respond with quick fixes and solutions to what you're going through, but those solutions, they don't work because if it was that simple, it wouldn't be this complicated. What we need in that moment when no one understands isn't for someone to come in and fix the situation. What we need is for someone to understand because if someone understands, then that means I'm not alone in this. And what these verses are showing us is that God understands and we are not alone. Now we have to stop here because we're in danger of making a mistake here. As we go through these situations and we look at the psalm, we can't let the solution to our loneliness be, well, I shouldn't feel lonely because God is here and he is enough for me. Because the truth is, God is not enough for you. And that's by his own design. See, God has not created us to function as isolated individuals. God has created humanity to function as a community surrounding each other. So when we look through these passages, like we'll, we'll see that he's our bedrock, but we need each other. We have been designed to need each other. An extreme example of this is solitary confinement. Studies have been done that show that a third of the people who are put into solitary confinement, they come out psychotic or suicidal. In solitary confinement, people have panic attacks and hallucinations, and they have difficulty thinking and remembering things because we are not wired to be alone. Our programming doesn't function correctly when we are forced to be alone for a long period of time. Scientifically speaking, when you're forced to be alone for a long period of time, your body literally begins to shut down. So for us to say, I don't need other people because God is enough for me is as ridiculous as saying, I don't need air. God is enough for me. You need air. You should keep breathing. Drowning's a pretty big deal for this reason. We have been created to need to breathe and we have been created to need each other. This is the way that God has designed us. So we'll see in these passages that God is our foundation and and our bedrock, but there is a very real role that God wants all of us to play in each other's lives, especially when it comes to lonely situations. So everything we're talking about today, it's for those of us who are feeling lonely, but this is also on behalf of the lonely to all of us. 
So, for example, like taking this situation, situations in which someone feels like nobody around us understands, we have a part to play in this. God is there and he understands. But when someone is going through this, we need to be open and vulnerable with the things that we have experienced ourselves. Because the truth is, whatever you're going through, if you feel alone in that, chances are good if I ask this room, has anybody else experienced what this person is going through? Multiple hands would go up into the air. See, when we are vulnerable and open with our situations, we show people that they are not alone. Now, there will be times where someone comes to us with something that we have never experienced and in a situation that we don't understand. But in those moments, the best thing that we can do is just listen. Because if we try to jump in with quick fixes for a situation that we don't understand, that doesn't help anything. But when we choose to sit down and listen and learn to understand, we show that person we're not just there for them, we are there with them. I've been blessed enough to experience this firsthand myself. The most extreme and terrible thing that I've ever been through, and I've talked about this before, is when I found out that my mom had stage four terminal cancer and she wasn't going to make it. In that moment, finding out that news, I felt so alone. I was in my early 20s, and none of my friends that I grew up with were going through this. Like, their moms were fine. But there was one friend that I had just made recently, and I knew that he had experienced the same thing. His mom had passed away from cancer. So I got out my phone, and I texted him. I said, hey, man, can we talk sometime soon? And he said, about what? And I texted him, my mom and cancer. And he immediately responded with the words, come over. So I got into my car and I drove over to his house. I got out of the car, I walked into his house and I sat down at his dining room table and he sat down with me and I just began to weep. I just lost it. I just pure emotion, just gushing out and he just waited. And after he waited, he said the kindest, most comforting words that anybody ever shared with me in that entire terrible season. He said, I am so sorry for what you are about to go through. And those might not seem like the kindest of words, but they were to me because I knew in that moment he understands. He gets it. There's no quick fix. There's no solution. He's been through this. He knows how it is. I am not alone. Somebody understands. No matter what we're going through, God understands and he is with you. But there is a part that we are meant to play in each other's loneliness here too. Another situation in which we can feel lonely in is we can feel lonely because we feel like we deserve to be lonely, uh, alone as a result of certain uh, choices that we've made in our life. So um, maybe when you've made a terrible mistake, something you seriously regret, whether you betrayed yourself or someone else, or you just feel disgusting, you can feel very isolated in the sense that you are unfit for a relationship with anybody. And we can feel this on two kind of main spheres. First, there's the social sphere, which we've been hearing about increasingly more lately. Um, like we live in a world where uh, an undeleted tweet from a decade ago can totally ruin someone's career. And then for the rest of their life, they're branded with a label that they have to carry over their heads forever. So we're living in this kind of increasingly merciless society where any mistakes come out, you're done, that's it. One strike and you're out. But then there's the spiritual sphere to this too. Uh, when 
We have messed up big time. It's easy to begin to think certainly there must be a threshold to God's willingness to forgive me. Like, I know he forgave me those times, but after I've done the exact same thing this many times, or I took it to this degree of severity, surely I must have crossed some sort of line that I can't uncross, and he must have cut me off by now. Take a look at what the psalm says about that. Verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. What this means is no matter how deep or dark of a hole that we get ourselves into, God is there with us in that, that whole time. And this isn't just talking about those times where we get blindsided by temptation and we don't even know what we've done until it's over. This is talking about deliberately walking away from God. Like in verse 9, David is saying, if I try to get as far away from you as humanly possible, even there, you're with me. In our worst mistakes, God is there. We are not alone in that. This gives us a different perspective than we're normally look at ourselves in in these situations. Like when we've just kind of gone off the deep end, so to speak, we can often see ourselves kind of in the prodigal son story where we're rolling around in the slop with the pigs and our father's all the way back home. But what David is saying is God is with us in the pen with us and the pigs. So when we have messed up big time, God is not back home saying, when you get your act together, I'll be over here waiting for you. When we've messed up, God is saying, I am here with you in this. This makes me think of my son, Edison. He's a year and a half old proficient walker slash runner now. Um, so he loves to walk. So we've been walking around in public and there are times where we'll be walking around in public and uh, we'll come to a place where it wouldn't be safe for him to walk on his own. So I reach down and grab his hand. But sometimes he doesn't want to hold on to my hand. So he, he tugs and he pulls and he screams and he cries and he throws this fit. But that entire time I do not let go of his hand because I know what would happen to him if I did. And I love him too much to let that happen to him. We might try to get as far away from God as we possibly can, deliberately and intentionally. And we might tug and pull and scream and cry. But that entire time, God has not let go of our hand because he knows what would happen if he did. And he loves us too much to put us through that. In our worst mistakes, God is there. But there is a role that we are meant to play in each other's lives in this, too. Because, again, we are living in what I believe to be an increasingly merciless society. We're just like the slightest mistake. You're done. If we're going to live our lives like Christ, we have to be the opposite of that. My wife, Allie, she signed up for one of those uh, Christian health cost sharing groups. And we did a lot of research before we signed her up for that. And uh, there's so many things that we love about it. But one thing really bugs me 
And it's that their plan, it doesn't cover pregnancies out of wedlock. And I understand why they do that, but I can't help but think of the single woman who made a mistake that she regrets, but she got pregnant and she's doing the right thing and keeping the baby. And in that most desperate moment where she is the most vulnerable and in need of help, the community that is supposed to be there has cut her off. That does not make sense to me. We need to be the opposite of that. Forgiveness and mercy is the underlying root of what this should be. Because when we forgive someone, we are communicating to that person, I am still with you. I am there. So God is with us in our circumstances and in our mistakes, but there is a role that we are meant to play in those too. Another way that we can feel lonely is when we begin to believe this lie that can heighten our sense of loneliness. And the lie can take a form something like this. I am alone because there is something about me that repels other people away from me. There is something about me that causes other people to not want to be around me, whether that's age, race, gender, ethnicity, income, living situation, personality, whatever it is. I am alone because of this thing that I can't change about myself. When we've been told this often enough, whether it comes from our parents or the kids that we grew up with or someone online or an ex or a spouse or even our own kids, when that's been told to us over and over again, we can begin to believe it. And we come to the conclusion that I'm just destined to be alone because of how I am. Look at how the psalm responds to that. Verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Close your eyes for a second. I want to read this again in a different way. And if you know this is something that you need to hear, I just... Open your heart to the truth of this. Listen to it this way. For God formed your inward parts. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. Praise him for you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are his works in you. Your soul knows it very well. Your frame was not hidden from him when you were being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. His eyes saw your unformed substance, and his book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for you, when as yet there were none of them. 
Now, I want to make something clear. I don't want to minimize anything that you've been living with. Like, we're just, we've just finished up this series where we've talked about depression and anxiety, and we've been very open with the fact that sometimes there are things that are on a level that require medication because it's more than just an emotional thing. It's a biological thing. There's an imbalance there. Or maybe you've been suffering with chronic pain or some disorder or disease or, or disability. And I say that because these verses are often misused to insensitively tell people that you're perfect the way that you are. But we know that that's not true because we live in a fallen world that is full of imperfection and disease and death. That's just not the reality that we live in. We're not perfect the way that we are. That's just the human condition. But What these verses are talking about is something much deeper that is untouched by those things. In that first verse, David says he's talking about the inward parts, and he's not talking about our organs. He is talking about the miraculous, eternal, spiritual core that has been placed inside each and every one of us. We call this our soul or our spirit or our heart. And this is something that cannot happen by accident. This is not something that can be formed by nature. This is something that God himself has to put together. And he has done this and he has placed it inside each and every one of you. This is what it is to be made in God's image. If you've ever been camping and late at night when there's no moon or uh, clouds or light pollution, if you are able to look up in the sky and see all the stars like all of them. Maybe the Milky Way was up over your head, or maybe it was the Aurora Borealis. If we were able to see this piece of us, it has to look something like this. And I believe these verses, they may even show us that God begins forming this piece of us together before we're even conceived. But the bottom line is this. You were made deliberately and intentionally. You are not an accident. God formed you together and he placed you here. You are not a mistake and you have such inherent worth. Every single one of us was made in God's image. But as a society, we tend to overlook that sometimes. I was reading this news article from a few years back where uh, this lady, she had this garage sale and she sold this painting and she sold it for $2. And the next day she came home from work to a bunch of news vans outside of her house. She asked what was going on and they told her this painting that she had sold for $2 was most likely done by Pablo Picasso. Uh, His signature was on it. Uh, If this is true, the painting was worth $2 million. Um, She was dumbfounded. She couldn't believe what she did. And she told the reporters one of the reasons why she didn't think the painting was worth that much was because of the condition of the frame that it was in. Every one of us is a miraculous work of art with God's signature on it. But sometimes we overlook that in each other because we don't like the frame. None of us deserve to be alone. We all have this inherent worth because of this peace that God has formed together and placed inside every one of you. But we have been created to treat each other in this way and surround each other in this way. So our part to play is this. If we are to live our lives like Christ, it means treating each other in the way that Jesus treated others. 
When Jesus was on earth, he spent his time with fishermen and traders and prostitutes and the sick and the contagious and the diseased and the crippled and the poor and the possessed and the homeless. Jesus looked inside the frame. And if we are going to live like him, it means we have to look inside the frame as well at what's deep inside every one of us. Now, there's another part to this, too, because if you are believing these lies about yourself, the power of these lies is it can cause you to isolate yourself from other people, which makes sense, because if you believe that nobody wanted anything to do with you, then why would you try to, like, create this thing and force this thing that they don't want to be a part of? Except that's not true, as we've just learned. So even though it may be hard or uncomfortable or counterintuitive, You must seek community because you need it and you know that you need it. This whole doing it on my own thing, it's not working. And if you don't know where to start, we have made it really easy for you at this church to find community. Like if you want to be a part of e-groups, that's a wide open opportunity for you. All an e-group is, is it's just a group of people who meet regularly to love each other and care for each other and be there for each other and grow with each other and get to know each other better. The, the whole connect thing on this Wednesday, like go to that. If this is something that you don't have, you need that. Go to it. None of us are just destined to be alone. You all have worth and you all deserve to have community. And there is a very real role that we are meant to play in that. So the last part of the psalm tells us one last area in which we can feel alone. Uh, And those are times where we are at our most desperate. Like if you are stuck in a situation that it just seems like there is no solution to and you feel like it's up to you to get out of it, that can feel so lonely. If you are a single parent trying to make ends meet and also raise your kids well at the same time, or uh, if you just lost your job, or your spouse just told you that they want a a divorce and you don't know what you're going to do, or you just lost a scholarship, or you got a bad diagnosis, just one of those situations where it feels like there is just no way out, and it's entirely up to you to figure it out yourself. That can feel so lonely. If we look at the last piece of this psalm, we can see that David's going through something similar. He says this, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David's in a desperate situation. He's king of a country, and he's surrounded by people who hate him and hate God, and he doesn't know what to do. But he shows us that in situations when there is nothing left for us to do, there's always one thing left that we can do. We can go to God for help. See, God did not intend for us to make our way through life entirely on our own. 
He wants to be there to help us through it. It is such a burden to carry when we believe that it is entirely up to us to figure our way out of every situation that life throws at us. But when we invite God into our desperate situations, it takes that burden off of our shoulders. There have been so many times in my life where I have felt desperate and I've gone to God. And in that moment, he gives me a sense of peace that I have no right to feel considering the situation that I'm in. And I've heard so many stories of God coming through from people in the last hour where they needed healing or or provision or, or support or rescue in some way. In our most desperate times, God is there. We are not alone in those. The very first year of our marriage, uh, my wife, Allie, her car totally broke down. The transmission went out. It was, it was done. And then not long after that, my car broke down too. So we didn't have a whole lot of money, so we got on Craigslist, and we bought the cheapest car that was running that we could find. And uh, we bought it, and we saw that it needed to be fixed up in some ways, so we spent the rest of the money that we had fixing it up. Well, a few months after we had bought this car, I go out and I get inside and I turn the key and the engine just disintegrates inside itself. Like it's done. It is totaled. And I didn't know what to do. I just walked into the house, walked into our room. I laid on the bed and I just cried. I felt like a little kid. But then Allie walked into the room and she hugged me. And then we just prayed together. And in that moment, we felt God's peace about the situation. We knew things were going to work out. We knew that he was there for us. And eventually he came through for us. A month or two later, God just out of nowhere provided us with a car. In our most desperate situations, God is there. But in this especially, there is a very real role that we are meant to play in each other's lives. Because in moments of desperation, most of the time, God comes through for people through other people. So in this situation, when I was on the bed, not knowing what we were going to do about our car situation, I knew all these true things about God. I knew he was there. I knew he could fix it. He has the whole universe at his disposal. But I felt alone in that moment. But it was when Allie walked into the room and prayed with me that I was able to sense God's peace and presence in that situation. I knew he was there, but it was Allie that showed me he was there. And he didn't just make a car appear in our driveway. God chose to use a community of our friends and family to all pitch in together to buy us a car. We knew that he was there for us, but through those people, God showed us that he was there. So our part to play in these seasons of desperate times is this. When someone is going through a desperate situation, we help We do whatever we can to help and show them that we're there. And when there is nothing left to do, when there's no other ways that we can help, we gather around that person and pray with them and share in their desperation, showing them that they are not alone. In this whole psalm, the same message is communicated throughout this entire thing. That there is no situation or or mindset or place that we can get ourselves into where we are without the presence of God. If nobody understands what we're going through, God is there. If we've run as far away from God as we possibly can, God is still there. When we're feeling worthless and just destined to be alone because of something about us, God is there. 
when we are in our most desperate times, God is there. He is always, always there. We are never, ever alone in that. He is our bedrock and he is our foundation. But there is a house that God wants us to build on that foundation. And that house has a kitchen that feeds everybody. And it has a table that seats everybody. And it has a living room where everyone is welcome to find rest and community. And the doors have been taken off their hinges because there's never any need to shut them. When someone feels like no one understands, God is there. But when we come around that person and listen to them and show them they're not alone, God is there. When someone runs as far away as they can from God, God is there. But when we chase after them and invite them back home with us, God is there in that moment. When someone feels like they don't deserve to have community, God is there with them. But when we surround them and lift them on, their sh on our shoulders and carry them to their own party, God is there. When someone is at their most desperate time, God is there, but when we come by and we invite them into our house and feed them and say, I don't know what to do either, but can I pray with you? God is there. Let's pray. I want to give you a chance to think about some of these things and maybe what God wants you to do just considering all this. So I'm going to ask some questions, and I encourage you to think about them, but take as much time to listen to what God has to say about these questions as you do to think about them yourself. So with your eyes closed, um, some of the schools around here, they have a buddy bench, um, where if like a kid needs someone to play with, they sit on this bench and wait for someone to join them, um, which is cute. And I don't want to trivialize this with, with that image, but I do want you to picture an empty bench in front of you. And sitting on that bench, I want you to picture someone that you know, who you know is feeling alone. Maybe they feel alone because of the situation that they're in and no one understands. Maybe they feel like they've been kicked out of community because of choices that they've made. Maybe they feel like they just don't deserve to be around anybody, so they're alone. Or maybe they're just in a really desperate situation and they don't think anybody can help. So take a moment and think about who is sitting on that bench. If you're able to visualize someone that you know that's sitting on that bench in front of you, the next question is this. And again, take as much time to listen as you are to think about this yourself. See how God would answer this question for you. 
considering why it is that they're sitting on this bench, what would it look like for you to walk to that bench and sit down next to them? Father, I pray that you would give us all the opportunity and the courage and the strength or whatever it is that we need to be able to sit on that bench with that person sometime soon. Would you just make that opportunity happen? Would you help us to remember our part to play in that when you do? Father, we also pray for the people who are here and they weren't able to even picture someone on that bench because they're the one on the bench. God, when we are stuck in a situation that nobody understands, you are there with us. Help us to sense your presence in that situation. Bring us peace. When we have run as far away as we can from you, Father, you never let go of our hand. When we are feeling worthless, and just destined to be alone, you are right there by us, proving that that is not true. And when we are at our most desperate time and feel like it's up to us to fix it, you are there, ready and willing to help. God, in this moment that we have right now to just be with you in your presence, help us to do what we need to do to just fully open ourselves up to that whatever roadblocks or things that are getting in our way of us just being present with you and not being alone in this moment. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place and just work in those things? So Father, we worship you because you are holy, but we also worship you now because you are here.